Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MMA Origin Stories podcast with me, Michael Williams. I'm joined on this episode by combat sports referee, member of the Emma Rules and Regulatory Committee and former Muay Thai and MMA fighter, Charlotte Freeman Lawrence. To play us into this episode is a good friend of mine, Lewis Clay. So welcome, guys. Thank you very much to, to my first guest, Charlotte. Um, Charlotte, I just wanted to let everybody know, really, that you are you are the reason that this this podcast has even taken off. Um, in October, we we had a uh, um, we had a car journey up to the Arnold Classic, and because we're both quite nosy people, we just started poking into each other's pasts, really, and uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and that that's pretty much where it was born. Uh, the idea behind it was born, and from that moment onwards, um, it's took me um, probably the best part of four or five months to get my bum into gear to uh, to to get this moving really so um thank you for being my first guest thank you for for coming on board and um so yeah so for you really let's let's just get straight into it uh, for for you really you growing up in cornwall obviously in the 80s um I, I said in my introduction there wasn't a lot of martial arts around so so what what sort of opportunities were there if any for you in and around martial arts when you were growing up yeah um I grew up between Cornwall and Bournemouth um, because my parents split, so I split my time kind of between the two, but Bournemouth and Dorset back then was quite a sleepy town as well. So there wasn't a lot going on. And I think sort of 80s, 90s, these types of sports, I had an interest um, when I was probably in my teens. For some reason, um, I found out about Muay Thai and it really got me. I was really interested in it, but I didn't have, I don't know, females in kind of you know a fight orientated gym it wasn't mainstream at all and definitely um I probably wasn't as confident a person back then as I probably am now that's maturity and age not too much age um (laughs) but yeah (laughs) so yeah so I definitely had an interest I know that there was one local gym that did do some sort of Muay Thai and I knew some people that went but I just never kind of got myself there I thought about it and you know hankered after it a lot but just never really got myself to it um I had some really traditional hobbies growing up um you know ballet and those sorts of things I went to um girls brigade very traditional I lived in sort of small villages and you know just the normal I done maypole dancing on the village green quite proud of that <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know what maypole dancing is it's if if you don't know what it is it's not what you're thinking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah 
It's, it's not so, strippers. Yeah. It's not strippers it's in the spring, not. guys. It's definitely, definitely not strippers not. in the spring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, so there was, so I had no, you know, no one in my family, none of my friends did any martial arts. It was something I just wasn't exposed to um, until, like I said, I got to my teens, had a bit of an interest in Thai boxing, but I never really took it. I didn't do anything with that. I just knew that it was out there. And that was yeah. really as much as it went. Um, I think for most I, people, because because even though like Charlotte, you're a little bit younger than me, but we're both we're both eighties and nineties kids, born in the eighties, grew up in the eighties, yeah. uh, grew up in the nineties, and and for both of us, like for me especially, there was there was always boxing. Uh, everyone used to go about boxing, but you'd go into the boxing gym and there'd be next to no females. There'd be no girls my age when I was when I was eight, nine, ten going to the boxing gym. Um, and then when I was in karate, there was a very we had a female karate instructor. But there was probably two out of the 30 kids there that were female. So it was a very dom male dominated um, pastime back then. So yeah. I can understand being coming from, from a, a, a little rural village in Cornwall, I can imagine there was, there was next to nothing there for you at all. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that, and, and I love it now because actually you could walk into um, most gyms now whatever denomination of, that they are and actually there's almost an equal split so that's fantastic how it's moved on um it's brilliant but yeah going back it, it just wasn't like that and even when I took up martial arts which was um probably 2010 around then 2009 2010 it was still you know the ratio was very heavily a male orientated sport um particularly Thai boxing it's quite a hard sport um yeah. so yeah um but my journey into martial arts was something I mean it shaped my adult the rest of my adult life now and will be something that I'll never not be or hopefully never not be involved with but yeah. I started with Muay Thai that was my kind of thing um I we spoke about it previous Charlotte so it was so for you obviously you'd had you'd had Ayla your second child and you were looking looking for something to try and help you get back into 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 shape trying to get fit again so what was the journey from I want to get fit to I don't know maybe three to six months later jumping in the ring for your first Muay Thai fight just just take us through what went through your head as a as a relatively new second time mother going from yeah. right I'm gonna I, I, I want to go and get a bit fit uh, I want to go in there and 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 compete with somebody in in a combat yeah. sport and I think I need to set the scene here. So I dabbled in ballet when I was in primary school. I ran for the school. And then my my teens and early 20s was about the dance scene. I was not doing any health and fitness at all. So I had my second child um, and I, I had gained a bit of weight. And so, yes, my motivator was to lose that weight and get back to kind of where I'd been. So I joined a gym, just a standard gym that I'd never joined before to do spinning, really. And I did that for a month or so and, and I, I did enjoy it, but it quickly lost its, it, it was very samey and, you know, I wanted something more. And just by chance, I happened to stumble across an advert. I don't know where I saw it. And it was um, a Thai boxing gym um, local to me and they were offering one-to-ones. 
Um, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to give that a try, actually, because actually I'm in a position, a one-to-one, that's not so scary or daunting. It will be good for my fitness. And it's something that going back, you know, however many years before, 10 years before, had really interested me as a team. So um, I phoned up and took the plunge and I booked a one-to-one session. Um, and I don't know, it was like, the first time I hit pads, I was just like, this is what I was meant to do. It just was such a natural thing. Some people like hit a pad and you know what I'm going to say like this, or you'll be like, oh, hit me. And they go like, like they do this funny little movement. I was like, oh, is that how you really think you punch? Whereas some people will just throw a shot, like a straight one, two, and it's so natural. It's so like it's inbuilt in them. And I was just one of those people. I think that it was just a natural reflex for me to throw out a punch um, so yeah, I started having one-on-ones just for fitness, really. But I started to realise how much I loved it, and I became addicted. And I very quickly started going to the classes and um, was doing everything I can. Had an interclub, and my trainer um, Glenn, who was an absolute inspiration to me, um, said, "I think you could have a fight, you know." And I was like, "Oh, do you really?" And and it was old school Thai boxing gym like you didn't say you wanted to fight your trainer told you if you were ready and they just do you know what I mean it was not there was no coming in with an ego we were all on the same level whether we were fighters or not everybody was on the same level you all trained the same there was no special like um you know no special treatment for anyone and if Glenn decided that you were good enough to fight like you were good enough to fight so for him to say to me I think you could have a fight, you know, like you're, you're good, you're tough, you can do this, was an absolute honour. And that was probably three months after starting. Yeah. So he signed me up to a local show um, and I was matched. And um, I, it was crazy. It was crazy, actually, that that quickly, that that was happening. Um, but I never doubted that that was the right path that I should be on. Um, so, so, so what yeah. did everyone around you think about that when you when you turned around to them I don't know you turn around to to, to your parents so, so and you say right well, oh I'm going to be training in in well, I've decided to give up spin class and I'm going to go and train one-to-one with Muay Thai and then they're like oh, yeah okay Charlotte you, you, you can go 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 and hit your pads or, or whatever you're going to do in 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 the stereotypical punching that that people first time may do and then to go and do an interclub and quite quickly because um it, it was only a few months after th- two or three months after you you first started that you actually had that first fight on that local show wasn't it yeah yeah definitely um I think I mean again if we just go back was, I'd done the ballet and stuff girls gave when I was a young kid but my teens I was what you would people don't use this anymore but I was a tomboy yeah. through and through all my mates were guys, you know, lads. Um, I was very much a tomboy when I was sort of teenage, right up all my close friends. And I just hung around with the lads, like, you know. Um, so, and then I I actually trained as a plumber as well. Oh, wow. So, so I, yeah, so, I, so I'm a qualified plumber. So I'd done that in my sort of 20s in between my first and my second child. And I worked as a plumber for about five, six years. So I suppose there was always that thing that I kind of like to do what the boys done, you know, I, so yes, there was a shock for my parents on, you're actually going to have a fight, but then 
that person, you know, my sort of late teens, 20s, I was, I did like to kind of push the boundaries a little bit, challenge stereotypes, put myself in situations that traditionally women wouldn't have done, maybe because I felt so henpecked as a young child, like put into a certain, um, certain place that I just rebelled against that totally. So I think that I was doing that sport and doing um, a sport like that. I was always been feisty, probably wasn't a surprise I was doing sport my mum was very much she was very worried about me fighting because she'd been at a local boxing gym years ago when she was younger she used to do their uh, books or something for them and someone had had a brain injury so obviously for her she was very concerned about that but she knew that there was no taming you know when I've set my head on something I'm gonna do that so she didn't neither of my parents actually ever came to watch me fight which I'm probably glad of um Mm -hmm. but yeah but they were all very supportive and did what they needed to do but didn't actually come and watch me fight for that reason yeah 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 so so moving through the Muay Thai phase let's let's call that the Muay Thai side of it you um in between stand-up arts so in between your k1 and or k1 style and and your muay thai style you fought up to british title standard as well so you got to a a reasonably high standard in in the uk um in in, for, for the british title um how did you exceed your own expectations did you have any expectations when you when you were fighting or or did you did you just go with the flow and just keep improving yeah, I went with the flow. I think that um, it always changes, doesn't it? And this is life. You set yourself a goal and you then achieve it. And then actually you reset the boundaries and you reset yeah. the goals. So for me, I think the goal was to fight originally, obviously. Then it was to fight, um, you know, in a higher, so tie bo- uh, in Thai boxing, you have classes, mm-hmm. um, but obviously to fight, um, at, you know, A and B class rather than just being like a novice wearing shin pads. So then it was moving up through that. And then obviously um, I was set my sights on titles. So yeah. I think each time you achieve your goal, you then reset your boundaries. But I had no end point. For me, it was always a hobby. Um, I never felt that I was going to have a career out of it because, you know, um, I just didn't envisage that. I hit it late as well. You know, for someone to start and train, I was sort of mid to late 20s, mum of two, worked full time before I when I first started. So I was late hitting it. You've got a lot of people that are doing this sports from teenage, you know, right the way through so, so yeah, so I didn't have any sort of long-term goals. I just kept moving them each time I achieved what I wanted to, to achieve, really. But, yeah, to fight for a title was amazing. And to be at that level and to um, be co-main event on a show and to have people travel all around the country, country to watch you and, you know, it's, it's amazing. But yeah. But I took away as good, as much bad as I did good. You know, I got a prolapse disc in my neck. So that was a, a yeah. downside, you know, like there's, there's, the, there's the hard side of it as well. Yeah. So then when did you, so obviously that, that was around 2009, 2010 when you started. Um, when did you, when did you first move to Ippon? Because obviously you've gone from a traditional Thai boxing gym. Um, and I remember you saying that your, your, your coach, then moved moved around didn't he and he ended up in Ippon which is then when you moved across to Ippon as well wasn't it yeah I think a few things kind of culminated at once he'd got disillusioned 
you know, he'd been a trainer for a long, long time for various reasons. He'd got disillusioned. He'd kind of left the gym that we were at in the hands of some of the other trainers, which was great. Um, but equally in the background, I was going through a divorce as well. Um, and um, so this was all kind of happening at the same time. And um, my trainer, my original trainer, Glenn, had sort of said that he was going to move to another gym he was going to start and he hadn't been training for a while and we had such a bond you know I loved training with him that I thought I'm going to come along and try and I kind of met Jeff Jeff Lawson who's um, yeah. the owner and you know it's his gym and um we got on really well and he was like just come like really cool guy like really easy going was just like just come and see come and do the tie boxing mm-hmm. um so I'd actually gone to his gym maybe a year before when I was training for a fight to just get some different sparring with some different yeah. people. Um, so um, so I was familiar with it anyway. So I moved to Ipon probably uh, 2013, actually. Um, yeah. I remember it clear as mud. It was 2013. I just turned 30. I had been divorced, you know, single for eight nine months um and i joined at the same time as um molly mccann meet molly mccann yeah 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 the same summer we joined and it was just such a vibe down there there was a lot of smaller people um you know like smaller weights and um it was really good there was really good atmosphere there was good sparring so i joined there just as thai boxer originally but jeff was like i'm gonna get you into bjj and you know um, that was his thing, definitely. And he did. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of dabbled, but I was still fighting stand up, still doing sort of Muay Thai or K1 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I joined Jits. And then um, then I met Joe, my now husband. Yeah. Um, so Joe was there as a professional MMA fighter, and he was one of the um, coaches as well. Um, yeah. And at first it was just teammates, you know, like we were all similar weights, like I say, um, we were all just training and just doing our thing. But these things happen, don't they? And they evolve. And we yeah. became a couple. And um, <clears throat> Joe was very much like, oh, you're, you know, like doing jujitsu as well at the time. And we went and done some competitions, like some of the opens and stuff. And, you know, in my infancy of doing jujitsu, I was doing really well. I think I had natural aggression, which when you're at a lower belt, natural aggression will win out over technique because as as a white belt, you don't really have huge amounts of technique. Um, And so I'd done quite well. I think I got silver and bronze in a couple of opens and, you know, it it was a good time it was a good time and a good time in the gym but I never thought I'd fight in I'd never thought I'd compete in MMA I always thought well I might do a bit of jits as my kind of retirement sport yeah you know and stand up was my absolute love I was such a Thai boxer you know like traditional like Thai stars don't think I could fight without like the music going and a bit of Thai yeah. Oil <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but yeah um so yeah so I what happened I can't remember I suppose as my relationship evolved with Joe Joe was um you know a solid professional flyweight on the scene at the time he was quite big locally and he was he'd fought on cage warriors and Bama and stuff like that and I'd gone up to see him fight in Birmingham at the NEC on Bama and 
you know, like just totally got sucked up with it with the whole MMA thing, really. And because we were a couple, we, you know, that was really my first proper introduction into MMA. Yeah. Um, and then naturally I started training it, you know, um, like say there was Joe, um, myself, Molly, there was um, someone called Kirsty. We were all lighter weights. We were all training together. and We kind yeah. of were like the mini beasts. And yeah, just the mini beasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always said I'd love to do kids MMA and call it like the mini beast, but I just feel like that would be if you know if we did. But anyway, I hope um, you haven't given Joe another nickname. There, he's he's he was GI <laughs> Joe, but now now he's mini beast. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so but ultimately I ended up fighting MMA. It was inevitable, wasn't it really? Yeah. You know, Molly quickly became a very, very close friend of me and she was on an absolute pathway to, you know, great things. That was clear from me off. So yeah. she's training MMA. My partner, my now boyfriend is training MMA and is a professional, you know, and I'm in really a strictly sort of jiu-jitsu MMA gym. So I suppose it was inevitable and, that and I was I going the- to end up. The, the people around you as well, they're, they're both Joe. I remember Joe. I remember judging one of Joe's fights. I think it was back in 2012, 2013, something like that. So he was, he was high level back then. He was, he was really, really good fighter. You had Molly that was on the way up. So you had two really driven people in your life around MMA. You're already involved in combat sports. You're already learning the ground game as well, or, or progressing through the ground game as well. You've done your jujitsu competitions. It's a natural progression to, to not so much be a follower, but, but work with the people and, and you're spending so much time with them moving into, to MMA as well was essentially, it was going to be a natural progression for you, no matter what, because you'd, you're in that environment. You're, you're that sort of person that wants to compete and it's it's really your next big challenge, isn't it? Moving into moving across to MMA. So you had um, was was it two thousand and fifteen? You had your first MMA fight. Um, yeah, it would have been two thousand and fifteen. Um, yeah. Early two thousand and fifteen, um, I had had a Thai boxing fought for a title that I'd lost, and it was the second time around, and I felt a bit like my time had finished maybe the year before 2014 and um Joe was like I think you can have an amateur MMA fight like you'll be fine like you stand up solid you've been putting the work in like let's do it so um I got matched on Paul Sutherland's show against one of his girls um who again was actually a solid stand-up fighter and that was in the February um so found out I think probably the December we agreed it so I had a nice fight camp you know like I say good training partners um I went into that fight refreshed I think I think I fell out of love with stand-up fighting had some disappointments had some injuries and stuff like that and um I felt like I had that new buzz back about me when I had my first um MMA fight I had nothing to prove I was I was nobody I was nothing just coming in just fighting because I actually loved fighting and that was really refreshing had a great fight um it was a split decision you know it's one of them isn't it not not in my favor um I personally felt I had it but every fighter will tell you that um (laughs) but but I enjoyed it and that was the main thing I gave a good performance that I was happy with and I enjoyed it and um so yes that was 
that was um, my introduction to fighting MMA myself. Um, but literally the following day after that fight, I kind of was like, oh, you know, like I feel a bit sick and I don't think this is concussion sick. I feel like sick, like I know this sick, yeah. you know? And um, me and Joe had been trying for a baby for quite a long time and we put it on hold because I was taking this fight and, you know, long story short, we thought we were going to have to go through fertility for various reasons um but like I say the day after this fight I just got this feeling I was like oh I recognize this you know yeah. and um took about five pregnancy tests and was like oh my god I was <laughs> I, I'm pregnant and I basically just had a fight and I am pregnant so obviously yeah. that was a bit like ah. um so that stopped me fighting for a while I had Louis at the end of 2015 so we got married and then I had Louis that year so it was a busy yeah. year um and after I had Louis, I was just happy, happy being a mum, like mum of three kids. And, yeah. you know, I'd sort of flirted with the idea, well, maybe I could get into officiating, but I hadn't really progressed it that well. I'd had a few conversations with some of the referees that I knew, you yeah. know, that I'd sort of been on shows with, but I hadn't really progressed it. But I hadn't really made up my mind that I wasn't going to fight again either. I was just kind of in no man's land with not really a plan, just, you know, training and, just yeah. being around really um and, and especially some of the officials that you would have been around at that time as well obviously joe was a, a semi-regular on shock and awe at that time i i, I was yeah. i think i'd not long started on shock and awe around the 2015 mark so um you would have had the likes of rich mitchell um the likes of andy nichols was on there andy nichols is still oh, wow. on there as well um and and a mutual friend who's an amazing guy bomber ron bomber who i love i absolutely love and he, an he guy, honestly yeah. was probably my inspiration just because he's so happy when you meet him like so genuinely happy but he actually left my fight that i the MMA fight that I had and I'd seen him ref a lot of Joes and if I was ever going to pick someone for me at that point that I wanted to referee it, it would be bomb I just he's such a good guy he is a yeah. good guy um and I kind of reached out to him and sort of said that I was interested and he was very much like pro like yeah like look at this look at that you know um but I didn't progress it at that time I just had yeah. a lot on but yeah they were there was you know those people were definitely some of my the people that I would have first scene and you know yeah 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 I suppose it's good it's good that you were thinking about life after competing and mm. the level of the level of officials we've got a really high level of officials now I think in the UK and and we've got a good grassroots level of officials as well so we got we've got the people right at the top that are best in class you could you could put them up there with the best in the world um, and then we've got the grassroots levels that are that are probably only one or two steps behind those people as well we've got some really really good grassroots level people coming through but back then like 2015 2016 was really a, a change in time for for a lot of mixed martial art in mixed martial art in mixed martial arts officiating um it was starting to get a bit more popular more people were looking at it and I think also the second or third generation like yourself you were probably a third generation or fourth generation of fighter coming into combat sports and, and especially MMA because at that point 2015 we, as a sport we were only 20 years old just over 20 mm. years old so for you it was a good progression for you then to have competed 
and to moving forward as well into into officiating. So, so yeah, so that was that, that was your first MMA experience. Obviously, the the King Louis, as he's as he's proudly known <laughs> in the in the household, is 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 now on board as well. You're you're a married lady. Um, yeah. So yeah, so then we we I know there were some other decisions you had moving into your second fight. Um, and yeah, yeah, and that was that was obviously. And I think that that was that was the decision maker for me. I had a second MMA fight, and you know, um, I had reasons. I unfortunately, I sadly lost my brother in a motorbike accident. And he was a black belt in Bushido and loved martial arts, loved yeah. watching the UFC, you know. And um, I thought, oh, I'm going to just have another fight as a kind of like my own tribute to him. And in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to have this fight. Like I haven't fought for, I don't know how many, it was a good few, a few years at this point. So it, it must have been 2000. And I lose track of time because I think COVID's eradicated my ability to timeline properly. <laughs> so apologies. Yeah. But um, it must have been around 2017 I think that that was um and I thought I'm going to have a fight in his kind of honor you know something for me to do in his honor for him and I had this you know when you do something and you've got all these reasons you think it's going to be this wonderful thing and it's going to pan out exactly the way you want it to and it's all going to be perfect and that was not the case for me no I remember I was sitting cage side on that on that fight, Charlotte. So I, I remember it's ingrained into my memory. Um, I think it's ingrained in a lot of people's. I speak to. I remember speaking to Rich Mitchell, and the first time yeah. that I shadowed some referees at Shockenor, and he was there. And I was like, what's the worst injury that you've kind of ever seen or dealt with? He was like, yeah, probably your leg when it went. And I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, I had a significant leg injury, um, significant um you know, I, I tore my MCL almost right the way through. I fractured my tip, had significant bone bruising and tore like a cruciate ligament or something in my ankle. So it was all the way I had to wear a leg brace for months. I couldn't drive. I was then in an ankle brace and like it, it went on for ages. But that was, it was almost a relief because it was like, do you know what? Like that's happened. It was, you know, one of those crappy things that happens in fighting and you accept that risk. Um, but that's definitely me finished fighting. I'm now, you know, in my kind of mid thirties, I've got three children. I've got a very responsible job and I kind of can't do this anymore. So that was it. So that was the time when I was like, now I want to get into the officiating like 100%. I went after yeah. it then, you know, and that and was just me. To, just to let people know, cause I know when we, when we spoke about this previously, injuries, um, people see injuries happen and people know that there's a risk with fighting, but this, I think you've, you've almost, you haven't purposely, but you've almost underplayed the after effects of this. So yes, you were in a, you're in a a leg brace and yes, you couldn't do anything, but I remember we talking about it and, and for you, you still had to go to work. So you had a, a small amount of time off, but you still had to go to work, but because of the injury, you couldn't drive. So you had to get through, two kids to school, one kid to, to some form of childcare, and you had to get yourself to work. Joe's going off doing whatever he can to work as well, yet you can't drive. The bus probably isn't an option for time restraints. So for that one, one amateur fight that was done for all the right reasons, 
you've then got months and months and months of, of rehab of taxi drives that cost you lots of money and and this is the side of it that a lot of people don't see they see a fighter we've seen anderson silver and and whoever else conor mcgregor and and all of these guys have leg breaks and and we just think ah they'll be back again and and obviously anderson came back he was never really the same after he came back but it was you don't see the rehab side of it how long do you think that that really i know you decided at that point that you wanted to go once you processed everything, you wanted to move more into yeah. officiating, but that whole process of the rehab, how, what sort of timeline was that for you to get back to so some I, form of normality? Yeah, I, I know it vividly and I know it sounds strange, but I remember a lot of it vividly. So I, the fight was in the June. Um, and I know that um, I was in um, the leg brace for three months. Yeah. So it was early June. So June, July and August, I had an ankle brace I had to wear for a little while after the full knee brace. Um, I remember the end of September, I don't know why, but it sticks in my mind, but I went for my first little run. It was like a really tiny run. Um, I mean, I I was a little bit, you know, a few days after I've injured my leg and I'm stuck at home with the kids and I'm like trying to do dips on the sofa because I'm like, I can't just let myself go to mush. So I was a bit, you know, I was doing other things I could, but I couldn't do anything with my leg. But I remember having a little run, like a really short run um, in late September. And then Joe was really friendly. Joe's career started as a boxer. He was an yeah. amateur boxer. So he'd done the traditional amateur boxing route. Um, so he had one of his old trainers that had kind of set up, started his own amateur boxing gym. And yeah. actually I was like, oh, well, let's go back to that because I couldn't pivot very well. I couldn't, do, I definitely couldn't do grappling. My head had gone for all of that. Yeah. So I know like their season starts like September and we we had started training them at the end of September, but I was quite limited in what I could do. I couldn't do the skipping, you know, if it was um, a lot of footwork, I couldn't do it, but I could stand and like blast on a bag or hit pads. So I, so that was, you know, four or five months, but honestly, we're, I don't know how many like years down the line. And I would say that I'm still not 100%. I don't know that I ever will be now, you know, there's certain things, um, my ankle particularly like cold weather. Sometimes I'll set off out the house and go for a run and I'll get halfway down the road. It's like, not today. Thank you. We're not, (laughs) my limb is not going to play ball. (laughs) So I'm coming back, but yeah, that's hard. That's hard as an amateur that, you know, you're not doing it for money. There's no top of the range um, sports therapist helping you daily, getting back like um, the level of physio and stuff that you get for yourself. If, if you're just reliant on kind of the um, NHS is possibly not aimed yeah. at sports, people wanting to get back to a high level of sports fitness. And whilst I was definitely clear in my mind, I didn't want to compete. I definitely didn't want to not be fit, active and healthy and yeah. athletic. So, um, you know, I'd done a lot of stuff for myself, um, looked a lot of stuff up online uh, and tried to do the best that I can um, mm-hmm. to get myself back. Um, but it's had, a, it's had a massive lasting impact. I think um, my head is still just not there when it comes to grappling. It, yes. It's a massive source of anxiety not because I'm scared of getting hurt because believe me if you fought like um to a high level of tie boxing you're getting hurt no matter what yeah. I don't mind getting hurt 
what I mind is the impact on my family, not being able to work, not being able to, like you say, support my kids, take them to school, all of that stuff. So, yeah. so because I've got that in my head, that's really affected me. Um, so yeah, so I, so I didn't train anything for a while. We just boxed or I'd go to the gym. Um, mm-hmm. and it's only really in the last sort of few months that I've gone back to jujitsu and yeah. that's oh, really wow. because yeah that's um that so that's, is that's really... four years four and a half years after the leg injury that that you yeah. finally built the I wouldn't courage is probably the wrong word but built the trust in your leg that you can actually yeah. go back in, in in and do do jujitsu and grappling again so that's yeah. that's a long time to 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 not have trust in your own body to be able to perform something that you probably took for granted and and and, and you've been a, an active person since childhood as well so yeah it's, that's a, definitely. a long long time yeah yeah it was significant and I think that my motivator now is different my motivator now is not to compete and to, to be able to beat people up. yeah but my motivator now is actually to enhance my game and my knowledge for my refereeing because yeah. that is my focus yeah. Um, yeah yeah that is my focus um but yeah so after I injured my leg I really pursued refereeing and officiating um mm-hmm. I signed up to any course that I could do um so I did courses um in judging refereeing in different you know in k1 in MMA um I read whatever I could online I contacted whoever I could I contacted local shows that I was kind of new and was affiliated with to see if I could shadow and um so that's kind of how I broke into it really just my own just sort of doing what I could and putting myself out there and it's taken like a lot of years of doing that of my own time going to shows for no money and and working for nothing traveling all over the country um paying for um training courses out of my own money you know that that's how you have to start there's there's years of input and I feel like it's sort of starting to really pay off not in a financial sense but the reward about the teams that I'm now working with um the recognition things that I've been involved with um so that's amazing for me like really amazing yeah I know from a from an MMA standpoint you came to uh you came to the course in Bracknell um with Mark Goddard um Mark Goddard took um obviously I organized that course and was getting involved getting everybody involved that I, I knew I could um and that was right around the the change of the criteria as well for or, or the big the first big change of criteria for for uh, for the judging scoring uh, system. So you showed everybody. There was a lot of people that came from all over all over the UK to do that. But obviously, to drive up from Bracknell, uh, sorry, from Bournemouth to to Bracknell is it's a couple of hours drive. You had to pay for your fuel to go there, and and that's what some people don't really see is and don't really understand is we don't do this. We we're not officials for the money. If we if we wanted to earn money, let's be honest, Charlotte. If we wanted to earn money out of out of something, we wouldn't be uh, officials on the local circuit. You're you're not earning. We're not retiring on on any of the money that we're we're making out of this. If anything, it it covers costs, and especially by the time that. People like people like yourself who go out there and 
you're constantly upskilling yourself as well. And you're constantly going on refresher courses and you're constantly doing this and doing that and, and anything to keep your skills and keep your mind sharp. It's, um, it's a testament to your, um, to your drive and, and your, and your abilities and, and what you want to do and where you want to set yourself out with. And it probably comes from the fact that we were talking uh, just half an hour ago about your, um, about your drive in in Muay Thai and and you didn't set out to want to fight for a British title. You set out because you just wanted to get fit and then mm. you started to get fitter and then you wanted to compete and then you wanted to keep compete on a higher and higher and higher and higher and higher level. So it really is a testament to someone like yourself that's coming through in what is still a very male dominated sport as, as, as far as yeah. officiating is concerned. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a great time to be involved. You know, I think like um, we touched on earlier, like my close friend, Molly, she's obviously succeeded everything she set out to succeed and is, you know, active in the UFC and doing great yeah. things. Um, and and she was at that cusp of women's MMA. Like it really took off, obviously, the Ronda Rousey and, you know, yeah. um, Misha Tate and all of that era. And then it's really, so that was still, um unique at that time to have those female fights on but now it's mainstream to have women and men mm -hmm. on the card together and it's it's totally accepted that you, they give some of the best fights better yeah. you know better than um men um you know some of the most me memorable ufc fights have been clashes of women um so yeah so women's women competing in mma is absolutely mainstream now women women officiating in MMA is not still, but it, yeah. you know, with great organizations like IMAF and Emma and doing what they can to promote that, then that hopefully will become more mainstream. And I think throughout my life, if, if anyone's, if there's ever been a thought or a feeling like, well, you can't do that because you're a woman or who you are, or, you know, I would definitely try and buck that trend and be like, no, I can do whatever I want to do. Like, it's yeah. a it's a funny world to be in and I'm under no illusions when I get things wrong and we all get things wrong that's human factors I'm going to make a bad call sometime or I'm going to miss something that I you know a blink of an eye and I don't see something but because I'm a woman I'm going to get scrutinized on that so much more than than a male referee would yeah. and I know that but I put myself out there I put myself in that position but that's why I always want to be the best version of me that I can be. So I want to go on these courses and I'll, I'll still offer my time to go and do interclubs for nothing so that I can be moving around. Yeah. I'll still go and shadow on different shows, even that, you know, even though I'm at a point where I'll get paid on, a, you know, whatever it is takes, I'll do it. Um, I think and, that's and that shows a testament. I mean, you look what uh, my, my favourite, I think that I think there's a picture of it, but still my favorite ever picture of any MMA official was you with that young lad right on the first fight of the last day of the Emma Invitational at the Arnold Classic, where you were he was so small and you just looked like you looked like you was you was his mum. And it was beautiful <laughs> the way that you you were talking to him almost like he hadn't tidied his room properly. So you were just telling him very clearly and concisely what's good, what's bad, what you're ex what's expected from him. And that, I think sometimes we're, we're so used to seeing the big big John McCarthy's or, or Mark Goddard's or, or from our scene that we work with the majority of the time, 
Andy or, or Batch or Dan or Sam or someone like that, they're, mm. they're very manly men when they're doing it. And to, they're very and commanding. To, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, and to see someone like yourself coming through and whether it's a, a 12 or 13-year-old boy or a 40-year-old man, you speak to them almost in the same tone as it's you might soften the tone for for the younger for the younger generation but you're treating them all the same as i'm here to look after your safety as the number one prerogative as a as an mma official or an official in any combat sport is to look after the fighter's safety to make sure that they are safe Mm. at all times and following the rules so absolutely and i think that that's why because um we haven't touched on the obvious which is how did I why am I officiating MMA when my whole background really the the 75 80 percent or more 90 percent of that you know I don't know how many fights I had in Muay Thai but it's like you know up 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 there in nearly 20 I don't know a a a good amount a good amount yeah 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 all my background is Muay Thai I've had two amateur MMA fights and then I'm officiating MMA but it's my absolute love and I think there's two reasons number one I I'm a mum of three and I'm huge on kids safety yeah and um Muay Thai they allow headshots for kids and I I don't agree with that I really passionately do not agree with that if I ever go anywhere and I say to them like you know back in my earlier days I won't do children I won't do children Mm -hmm. that take headshots I'm firm about that and I even from the very beginning that's how I've been and I love um that IMAF and Emma that it is no headshots for the children because that is how it should be from a safety point of view so for me, that's huge because it means that I can referee the whole range because, um, yeah. you know, I feel that the children are very well looked after and protected. So that sits comfortably with me. Um, but the other side, I can't answer. I just love MMA now. Yeah. And um, I love everything. I love I love that you can have a fight that's st- so stand up, but there's always that risk and element or the excitement. Is it going to go to the ground? What's then going to happen? You know, it can finish in so many ways. And I don't know. I just love it. I just absolutely love it. I think the first time I ever refereed and I got in the centre of that cage and I was in control, I felt like, oh, my God, I've come home. Like, this yeah. is... This is it. And I get, honestly, the same buzz from fighting that I used to get from fighting. I get that every time I go in as a referee. I just love it. It's such a, I don't know, it's such a buzz for me. I, I love the fact that you just said there. So from a stand-up fighter's perspective, from a Muay Thai and, and kickboxing fighter as you are, that's that's 90% of your background. That's a, that's a hell of a long time of training and everything else that went into it. For you to say... It could be a stand-up war, but you love the fact that it could go down to the ground. That just shows a testament to to how well-rounded you are from a thought process and um, from an aesthetics perspective as well. Because you look at it and you're like, it could go down. It could go down at the ground. We've we've got all of our we've got all of our just bleed fans out there that only want it to be a stand-up war, and and (laughs) they, they won't even look at Muay Thai because it's not MMA, but they want everyone to stand up. So from your perspective of being a a Muay Thai competitor, coming to MMA relatively late on in in, at the tail end of your career and 
falling in love with the 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 ground game as well as still having your passion for stand-up is really good to see. It's really nice to see that that progression. And I think a lot of us have had that as well. A lot of us in the UK, we started, I know there was a big judo scene when I was younger, but there wasn't any, there was no jiu-jitsu. There was absolutely no Brazilian jiu-jitsu when we was around. There was very little grappling um, that I knew of. Uh, and the predominant arts that we were we were trained in as youngsters was was stand up. It was it was karate. It was it was boxing. There was a bit of kickboxing about. I think taekwondo had just come on the scene uh, in in my area in the in the early early to mid nineties, um, and there was very there was a big judo scene as well. But I got to be honest, when I was growing up, everyone saw judo as what you, you don't punch each other in the face. What's what's the point <laughs> in training that if you don't punch each other in the face? And then I trained with with uh, with James Lutman for a little bit, and he showed me why why judo is 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 a relatively effective martial art in its own right. So <laughs> um, it, it's a, yeah. but that's that's what that's what brings us together as, as mixed martial arts fans more than anything and else. And that's what I love. I love that um, you can get someone that just looks like the absolute geek that we just walk past on the street and they're so lethal. Yeah. And, and just how it's evolved as well. The game has evolved so much. Um, don't get me wrong. Like that stand up inside me is not gone. Like if yeah. you're watching... Um, my favourites, my favourite signed fighters for the UFC are always the stand-ups by background. Like I always yeah. hanker after that, but I definitely appreciate the ground game. And you know, anyone that's not ever taken ground a pound, like it's one thing getting a punch in the face when you're on your feet, but when you take that when you've got nothing but canvas underneath your head, and that is yeah. another level of an uncomfortable place. So I've got nothing but respect, and I think that. I, I know so many officials and some of them have, have fought and, you know, that's amazing. And some of them haven't. And I don't think there's any right or wrong. For me, I feel like, um, I feel like I, I just sense it when I'm in there. I can sense that step change from when someone's coping and they're good and they're in a fight to that moment of when they're not and their head's checked out or they've got mm -hmm. hurt or, you know, whether it's a look in their eye or the pace changes. And I think because I have been a fighter, I can just sense that within other people. And mm -hmm. then I'm, you know, on even more high alert. I'm watching for other things. And I think that that's something that I feel really natural about when I referee, that I can pick up on those bits and pieces. Um, yeah. So I think it helps me, but it's not to say that everyone needs to afford to be able to do it at all, but it definitely helps me. Yeah. So, so moving back to moving back to more like the 2018 sort of time. So we're, we're going back in our old age now, Charlotte. We're having to think back yeah. all the way. This is pre-COVID now, guys. We're, we're thinking of okay. pre-COVID times. Um, so you'd started working um, on the early prelims of Shock and Awe is, is where I first really saw you starting yeah. to, to work with us. Um, you've then you've then come along to the Mark Goddard course in, I think it was July sort of time um, up in Bracknell. Um, you're also working a bit with, with Carl, our friend Carl, you're, you're doing a few, few shows for him as well. Um, what, if there's any advice that you could give to somebody and, and we'll move on to what your experiences were and how you felt moving through from the 2018, obviously with COVID, there wasn't a lot going on. And then last year, we, we really started up again uh, late summer last year. What was, if you could give 
some advice to somebody who is looking, who's listening to this and thinking a young female or, or a female fighter who's retiring or somebody that's, that's competed and they're looking to get into, looking to get where you are because you're, you're, you're now, you're now a respected official. You've got a voice in, in the UK MMA community. What could, what, is there any advice that you could give to somebody about, about moving forward like you have in, in, in such a short time, in four short years as well? You've, you've been mm-hmm. to a much higher level than, than quite a lot of people that have been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, I think, um, I think seek out learning wherever you can find it. Don't be afraid to ask, you know, um, and, and, and just because you've done something once, go back and do it again. And I think I apply the same in my work life. And, you know, that's how I've progressed within my career um, at work. But I always seek to develop myself. Yeah. Um, but be true to yourself. Like, you know, if you're not true to yourself and you're not authentic, then you'll get found out. And, you know, yeah. I think it's OK to say if you don't know stuff, it's OK to say you've got something wrong, but always be open to learning. Um, but you're going to it, it's never going to fall in your lap. You're not going to go and do a referee course or a judging course. And then all of the shows in your local area are going to suddenly pick up their phone and ring you you're going to have to go out and seek your own opportunities and make your own opportunities, you know, ask questions, offer to do stuff for free, whether it's, you know, being a runner or a timekeeper or any of those things, like work your way into it, um, ask to shadow, build up relationships. Um, But you will have to spend a lot of your own money. You will have to spend a lot of your own time. And if your only motivator is to make financial gains, it's the wrong thing for you to do. Yeah. You know, I have a career outside of, MMA which I'm very passionate about and very proud of and that's my income and I don't ever expect for that not to be the case and if you are doing it for fame or fortune it's you're looking up the wrong sort of path definitely you're going to be a very poor alone person if you're if you're just doing this for for fame and money nobody's going to know who you are unless you do something really bad and you're going to be (laughs) hopefully no one ever really knows who i am that means i've really messed up yeah yeah Yeah, but you've got the camera on you if people know i am it means it means i've really messed up being a judge so it's uh (laughs) but uh it's something you touched on there being true to yourself as well and that is that's one thing that that our group that we work together regularly always start, say you got you got to stick to your morals if you mm. see something and this is this is something that i really really believe in if you see something on a on a show that a promoter or another official is doing that you don't think is right speak up about it speak up 100%. about it let them know let the promoter know and even to the extent that I'm sure we've all been there as officials. You've turned down work because you don't agree with what is being done. Absolutely. Um, I've only had to have that conversation once. And luckily for me, after I had that conversation, the situation on that show improved. Um, I went back and did the next show with them and it had improved. Excuse me. Everything had improved from, from what my suggestions had gone back to them. And sometimes promoters get a bad shake of the stick because they're seen as just money grabbing people. Oh, oh the, the promoters, they're, they're just out for it for money. But more often than not, if you were to speak to a promoter, they'd say exactly the same as what me and you have just said about if you're in this for fame and money, you're in the wrong game. 
a lot of the promoters I speak to, they would echo exactly the same thing. If you want to nick a couple of quid, if you want to earn some money, go and do something else. This isn't this isn't the game that the in our level, in the grassroots level, in the regional level, even in the national level, if you're looking to to earn, if you're looking to make a retirement pot, don't run an MMA show. Don't do an, don't run an MMA promotion because it's not it's not going to come for you. But I think that's I think we're quite lucky that there's more and more officials that are standing their ground, and there's more and more officials mm. that are. Um, we're very lucky, and I, I've. I've said I've been saying this for a long time now. We're extremely lucky that we've got someone like Mark Goddard in our corner. I was just about to say I've been on a few of Mark's courses and and yeah. and, and now worked with him at Emma and stuff like that. And you know he always says the same: like you've got to you've got to stand up for what's right, and yeah. you know your integrity is absolutely huge. And and that's that's how it should be. That's how it should be. You should be true to yourself, but true to you know doing the right thing for the people that you're working with and the sport and and those up and coming amateur fighters and you know the kids and I think that's what I feel passionate about and I I absolutely love everything that Emma stands for um the English Mixed Martial Arts um Association you know not just some random lady called Emma that we've met on the street yeah (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) but I'm really proud to sort of be a little part of that now um definitely Um, being on the rules and regulations committee and actually that's exposed me to even more fantastic like-minded people and you know I feel like I kind of I said to Dan the other day like I feel like Dan's my kind of big brother referee you know he's always like looking out for me and how how amazing for me to have the likes of people like Dan and Sam and all of those people and you know as mentors for me and to work with solid people like yourself Mike we've worked a lot on shows as well as um our stuff that we do for Emma but I I I just don't take any of that for granted. And, yeah, you know, whilst definitely. I know that I put in the groundwork to get where I am, I still never take any of that for granted. But yeah, going back to what we were saying, you know, Mark is, um, he's, he's, um, he's a good spearhead for the movement and doing what's right for the sport. Yeah. He's a good measuring stick for us to put ourselves. I, I often will sit there and if I've got a dilemma not just to do with MMA, but sometimes out of it, outside of it as well. I'll use Mark's lovely Brummy accent uh, echoing in my head and thinking, well, what would Mark do? And then he's, he's probably telling me off for something or, or he's, he's pointing me in the right direction or even reassuring me that what I'm, what I'm doing is correct. It always used to echo in my brain that I would, I remember a couple of times when I, when I was on one of his courses, I've done maybe three or four of Mark's courses now, um, over the last 11 years and I, it, I think it was the second course I did of his I gave him a scenario and I said this happened this happened this happened but this is why I scored it I was on the wrong end of a split but this is why I scored it for this guy and he turned around to me and said at the time as long as you've got a valid reason and a valid explanation as to why you think that that fighter won that fight in line with the criteria that is set you're fine. As long as you haven't yeah. missed a, a gaping part of that fight, you're absolutely fine. If you can justify why you've come to your decision, you're absolutely fine. And that, that echoes 
that echoes in my mind quite a lot when I'm sitting there and, and talking to yeah, people definitely. and so bringing the new officials through as well. We've got yeah, some he's officials. a great teacher. He's, you know, yeah. he's a great teacher. And I've had people reach out to me recently and say, like, how do I get into this? And, you know, I've pointed them because of COVID into um, Mark's online content that he's got yeah. now um, for officials. So I've pointed them to do that. But I've said the same thing that we've just said that, you know, you're going to spend a lot of your own time, money and effort to possibly little to no reward but as as long as you're doing it because you're passionate about the sport and passionate about you know being involved then then that won't feel like um, a negative I never feel like it's negative when I'm traveling to a show and um you know spending out my own money because it's like a hobby that I love and sometimes I get paid as well and that's just a bonus and you know all the rest of it it's it but it's it's the people it's the people that I work with the officials that I work with the promoters the fighters everything the atmosphere and I love it and I've got the best I would say the best seat but it's not because you don't sit down but I've got the best view in the house for sure I've definitely got the best seat I think I've got the best seat. <laughs> You've yeah. got the best seat, yeah. I've got probably the best view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. But it's um so so from if if we were to take it from the time we did so so we've got our benchmark in the sand where, where you sat on Mark's course. That was the first um officials MMA course that you'd sat on. And and we've only really got a short time then between that happening in 2018 and then COVID struck in in january so that was june or uh, july 2018 we then had another course with mark uh, did you come to the court the imaf course i think you did didn't you the imaf yeah, course yeah, in so london I've done a yeah. Few, the judges, yeah. yeah so that was the year later um the 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 referee and judging seminar a year later um in london and then six eight months after that covid had hit so really and truly from your perspective you had maybe maybe an 18 month, 20 month period or 18 months, because it came in February and, and there was no shows in January anyway. So how do you feel? How do you feel you progressed in that time? Was there anything that, that really stood out for you in those 18 months that you really, because you, you were relatively busy as a, as a, as a mum mm. of three with a full-time job, a husband at home who's got his own mm. business as well. So you've got lots yeah. going on in your in your family life and your work life to be doing this as well. Was there anything that really stuck out, stuck, stuck out, stuck out in that 18 months that that really that really made you realize you were making the right decision in, in moving into officiating? I just I think that no matter how busy you are, whatever you've got in your life, you must have something that's just for you. Like yeah. We can only be the best of ourselves if we look after ourselves. And yeah. I think that having something in your life that is just yours is really, really important. And for me, this is my thing. This yeah. is when I'm not Mrs. Lawrence. I'm not mum. I'm not, um, you know, um, a manager in the hospital. I'm not anything. I'm, I'm just Charlotte and I'm just yeah. enjoying myself and I'm giving back to something that I love and I'm involved and, you know, um for me it's just having that something for me but like I said before I think I knew the first time I refereed that I loved it and it was where I wanted to be and I just pursued it hard and for a couple of years I'd done as much as I could like you say Covid hit and you know there wasn't a huge amount that I could be doing you know obviously watching stuff it's really annoying though because what I will say is since I've been an official I can't watch 
um, <laughs> MMA on the TV because I watch it very differently to what I watched yeah. it as a just spectator. So I'm either watching it with a judging hat on my head thinking about that or I'm just watching the referee and how they move and all of that stuff. So it's, it's kind of annoying, but, you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so for two years it was really stagnant for me and um, coming back was really nerve-wracking and overwhelming like god am we gonna like ring rust if you haven't had a fight for so long and you think gosh but then I came back and it it just felt like you know I'd never had any time off yeah I need to brush up my skills yeah I need to remember like you know certain things on the rule set and it's a lot to take in when you've not been thinking about that and I worked the whole way through the pandemic so I work in the hospital um so I think my focus was probably just on covid big c word for that period of time but definitely you know um i'm back and ready to be back and just loving doing this stuff again so the first show for you back was was that arnold classic emma invitation was that your first show back oh wow so massive pressure so first thing back that i've done for over two years nearly no well 18 months 20 months at that point um working I knew obviously Mark Goddard was going to be there. So that's pressure, um, you know, and, and also, you know, other great officials as well. And and then meeting a whole load of new people that I'd not met. Yeah. Um, you know, there was so much, there was so much there. and But it was just a great weekend. It was such a great learning experience for me. Yeah. And it was, and it pushed me to my, you know, it did push me. Um, but that's what you have to do. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because yeah, it definitely you know, that's how you grow in that uncomfortable space is where you do all your developing. Um, so yeah, so it was great. And I think that hopefully that's the springboard that I needed to kind of get me back and you know, working with all of the people that we kind of know through this, fantastic people. Yeah. And, and especially those- for for both of us, we were we were Emma had only really formed two years before that anyway, um, as a, as an association that with COVID coming in, it kind of put a blocker on, on a lot of stuff that people could see from the outside looking in. There was lots of stuff going on in the background. And then it was the summer sort of time that we both got contacted for the rules and regulatory committee. Um, And then the Emma Invitational come on board as well. So we were, we were both going through the same sort of journey of what we can do getting back into MMA. I think I had one show before the Emma Invitational and I was so happy I had that show because Mm. as you say, the ring rust, I was sitting there thinking, God, if I had to come back into this with having not judged a single fight beforehand, we've, I think, were you reffing the first fight of the first day as well? First fight of the first day. So I'd, you know, I was, yeah, that was, um, that was yeah. pressure. I so think I might have ducked fight. out, but I think I swerved it. I think oh, I did asked you? someone else to take it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I asked like um, Lee or Nathan or someone to take it yeah. for me, just take it the team. Um, but yeah. And then, um, you know, um, we had Khabib come down and he yeah. sat and watched that I reffed and I'm sure not for one second he gave it a second thought or even looked at me but obviously I felt that pressure I you know um, how big was the crowd when Khabib was there though that was oh, a huge crazy. crowd for, for loads, so many people there yeah, yeah all, all I remember crazy. thinking when uh, when Habib was there 
Um, I'm a fan of Habib. I think he's a brilliant fight. He's amazing what he's done. But um, I'm going to give a shout out. My mate Browno was standing behind Habib at the time. And everyone's crowding around Habib going, oh, like, can I have a picture? Can I have a picture? Say hello to him. I looked up and all I saw was, was my man mountain mate, Browno, who was part of the security team. And I just said hello to him. As I say, shout out to Browno. He's, he's out. Um, if you ever want to see him, look at an anti-Joshua fight. He's the big fella walking him into the K, uh, walking him into the ring, sorry. But he, um, that to me was, that made me feel like I was back at home. That whole event, rejuvenated me for for probably how amazing was it after oh, covid yeah. to just be back in that and to be back in like can i say balls deep but it was literally yeah. balls deep. like <laughs> <laughs> but it was <laughs> it was three days of just wall-to-wall mma sorry yeah. kids if you're listening no yeah. um <laughs> No, but it was three days of just wall-to-wall MMA, like just yeah. so many like-minded people, just so many experiences and just great. And, you know, for me, as after such a long layoff because of COVID, um, it was just a great introduction back into like this wonderful sport that I love. So it was great. I thought as well for me, it was, it was beautiful to meet so many people from different parts. So... Obviously, we had we had Nathan Nathan Webb who was who was from uh, uh, from the Bristol or, or, or that sort of side of it. Um, we had Jamie from from Oop North who who was a MMA official by day and a scaffolder by night allegedly. So um, and then we had Mark as well. Mark Lavington came on board for it. Um, yeah. The Saturday and the Sunday we had Big Fred and Brad come down and help us but, out yeah. with the running of it. Um, oh, beautiful the, Brad. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, beautiful Brad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he won't forget taking the Mickey out of my age in a hurry, will he? When when you come in and, and jumped in and helped me out, saying I'm not old. So uh, yeah, he's um. But it's uh, we had so many good people from around the UK. Yeah, a good crowd, like yeah, a really all good congregate. Crowd. Yeah, and it was, yeah. and that was really a springboard for the rest of the year. Um. And yeah, and we got to do we got to do some good shows at the end, tailing into the end of two thousand and twenty one. Now at the start of two thousand and twenty two, we've got some really yeah. good stuff coming up. Um, yeah, it's going to be. I'm I'm really looking forward to to this year. I'm looking forward. To, when, when have we got shock and all? That's April, isn't it? April. Uh, yeah. So I can't 23rd, wait. Yeah. Be good. I think. Yeah, April the twenty third. Yeah, something. Like so yeah, it'll lines. be good. It'll be good. I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm hoping that I might have the opportunity to go and do an IMAF. I know you've just done one yeah. um, in Abu Dhabi, but I'd like to go out somewhere this year. That would be a massive achievement for me. So I think you know that's yeah. kind of a little goal that I'd set for myself. But just to be active um, and just to hopefully keep um, keep moving forward in a positive way you know yeah. for me it's like the little things like um i refed on the show adrenaline in wales um yeah great show i've been up November. there myself yeah yeah and um i just love stuff like this you know like i'm it was a break and just walking to the loo and like there was a couple of the guys that were sitting um there watching and they pulled me and they're like you the referee and i was like yeah yeah that's me and um they're like, oh, you know, we're fighters. We're supposed to fight. One of us was supposed to fight. I think they'd got injured and they weren't. And they're like, anyway, my mate, like, he says that you're doing a really good job tonight. He he knows his stuff and he's saying you're doing a really good job. And I love that. I love 
when I get that, because you don't get that often as an official. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, like, you're booed or you've made the wrong decision or whatever. People were just like, oh. But, yeah, it's good. And and if we can go back to one thing that we kind yeah. of – we spoke about Bomber. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I always feel that, like, Bomber's the kind of guy that, as a fighter, you'd want in your um, – you'd want refereeing, and, you know. And then, like, I think about, like, Chris and Andy, who I work with a lot on Shopping Orb, yeah, and I know that as a fighter, like if I had them as my referees, like, I'd just be like amazing, and that's how I want to be as a referee. Yeah. I want to be that referee that people are like, oh, if I get a ref, I just want Charlotte because she's fair, she's no nonsense, but she's fair, and you know, I know that it will be a good kind of situation. That's how I want to be. Yeah. That's kind of how I aspire and want to be known. Yeah, and and that was exactly the same as me. All I want to do is when I turn up to a show and somebody sees me, they're they're like, oh, cool, okay, Mike's here. We've we've got somebody that's that's at least going to pay attention to the fight. So you see, you've worked with judges yeah. before where you see them on their phone or you see them looking into space or something like that. And that's that's all we want is those little bits of appreciation for for the job that we're doing. It's that's what we do it for. That's that's why we're Definitely. here. That's what we do it for. Yeah. So what's other than your IMAF event that you're gonna that you're gonna do this year, Charlotte? It's not what <laughs> you want to do the IMAF event that you're gonna do this year and represent uh, the the team Emma out there as an official. Is there any other? Is there any goals that you would want to put out there into the atmosphere, into the ether, to say this is what I want to this is what I want to do, this is where I want to be? Is there anything yeah, for twenty twenty two? Maybe not 2022 because I'm, you know, although ever the optimist, but maybe like moving forward. Um, I don't feel, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm yeah. willing to be, you know, but I don't know of any active female referees on the MMA scene. Um, and I'd love to push this kind of positivity. And um, for me, obviously, you know, I'm kind of good doing the regional shows and I love them mm-hmm. that grassroots, but I'd love to maybe have an opportunity in the future of doing one of the more sort of um, the bigger shows, you know, yeah. like Cage Warriors or something like that. That would be, you know, ultimate for me. You know, I've been to them as a spectator. I've been yeah. to them as a, you know, um, with like I say, my friend Molly, like when she's four, I've done all the high, behind the scenes that, thing at UFC and Cage Warriors with her and for me I'd love to kind of even if I just got their shadow in like Mark yeah. and Dan and uh, you know I'd be happy with that <laughs> for now but <laughs> that's 2022 and then maybe 2023 2024 I don't know <laughs> yeah 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 no but that's good it's good that you've got you've got the ambition it's good that you've got the dream of where you want to be we all sit there and dream about Bruce Buffer calling out and 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 your referee for this content yeah, yeah yeah like obviously like that's long long term like bruce yeah. putting the old mic up under me and you know me yeah. ref in a um main event or co-main event of course like of course but uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> then i yeah. land back to earth with a massive bump but i i'm happy with whatever i get just you yeah. know if it's only one more year of this stuff i just love it and what it will be will be i just enjoy every minute yeah, and and that's it. And we've just got to take it. We take it all a day at a time. We we, and I think the good thing about us being officials affiliated with Emma as well, um, it's it's a mixed martial. It's the English Mixed Martial Arts Association. We're we're the governing body. Um, we're, we're 
we're in at the ground level and we're in at grassroots. So we're, we're really focused on, on the amateur side of it, of helping people come through. Um, I know from my perspective, I, I love it when I see people coming through from an officiating point of view. I can only imagine it's like what a coach feels when he sees a fighter progressing onto those next stages. But I, I remember at the Emma event, um, Sasha Amidi was sitting with me. I was timekeeping. It was on the final day. And Sasha, he, I asked him about a particular round. What did you think of that submission attempt? And he broke down that submission attempt from a from a BJJ perspective, but also from an officiating perspective and spoke about it and gave me the reasoning why he, he judged a particular round a particular way. And I'm not Sasha's mentor. I'm not anything like that. But to see a guy like Sash progress so well, we've got another mm. guy, Anab Hussein, who, who he's another one who's, who's officiating has come on leaps and bounds over the last few years. I've got, my man Tommy as well. He's he's a he's a good fledgling official who's who's getting experience on shows and and working his way through. We've got and we're only talking about about southern UK and and for me predominantly southeast UK is is where mm. I see a lot of the guys at. And we're very very lucky with the officials that we've got coming through. Um, we've managed to to, I mean when I first started officiating, two thousand and eleven when I first officiated a show. Um, I often say to people that like the new people now, it was like the wild west. You had, yeah, yeah. I remember the first show I officiated, I was one of the other, um, one of the other judges. He was a, a local restaurant owner who knew the, knew the promoter and he would give the promoter some, some free food if he could judge on the show. And I remember having an argument with him because he, he turned around to me and said, I scored a, a fight a particular way. Um, I was on the wrong end of a split decision. My, my first show, wrong end of a split decision. He came over and started poking me in the chest, telling me that I was rubbish and I didn't know how to officiate. How have you scored it that way? How have you scored it that way? And I said, um, well, the guy, the guy on the bottom was throwing up submission attempts. He was throwing punches. And even though he wasn't on top, he was he was dealing all the all the damage, but the guy on the top was just sitting on him, body, body, head, body, body, head, not doing anything impactful. And the inevitable words came out of his mouth of, you can't win anything from bottom. <laughs> I was like, dude, have you have you ever been triangle choked before? Because I'm I'm pretty sure. 90%, 99% of the time, when you get triangle choked, it's because you were on top in a bad position and, and the guy on the bottom moved through. And but, and, and that's why it's great that we've got people that actually understand what they're doing and, yeah. you know, they're, they're in it for the right reasons. And, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's good to bring on those people and, you yeah. know, definitely support them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, good. yeah, yeah. it's a good place to well, be. Look, Charlotte, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. We've been we've been talking Thank for you. a little over an hour now. I know <laughs> we wanna all wanna go and have a glass of vino before going to bed. So it's it's look. Thank you very much. Um, everybody, look out for for Charlotte. She's going to be officiating on a show near you, possibly the UFC with with Bruce Buffer cheering out her name for the next for the next main event. Um, but Charlotte, thank you very much. Is there, is there anybody Thanks you want to say me. thank you to for, to for 
at the minute or or I can edit this bit out. No, I think, well, no, just thank you to you, Mike, for having me on. Like, it's nice someone to take an interest in little old me and want to hear my story. <laughs> and if it inspires one person to kind of move into this world, then that's fantastic. Um, and just a big thanks to all my big bros, at, um, Emma, and on the officiating scene that all look out for little old me. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Thanks, Charlotte. Yes. Well, there you have it, guys and girls. That was Charlotte's journey to date. It certainly shows what can be achieved when you really believe in what you're doing and by sticking to your own morals and beliefs. You can follow Charlotte's journey on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Next time, I'll be talking to a great friend of mine, Daniel Movahidi. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to check out the sponsors of the show.